right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. Welcome to Higher Journeys, everyone. It is Wednesday, and I have to continue to remind myself because, as you know, we're doing the live uh, show with uh, the Conscious Commentary Live every Friday. So I had to quickly check in. You know, we're always, we've got everybody here. Michael's here. Billy Carson is here. Going to get into a great conversation with Billy. But I have to just remind myself, keeping the pace of what show is it, what day is it, but we're here. <laughs> and the main thing is we're live. Welcome, Billy Carson. Welcome. Welcome to the family. How are you? Fantastic. Great to be back on your show again. You know, every time you're on, I'm doing a count. One, two, three, four, five. It's got to be five or six times at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. So yeah. It's great to be here. Yeah. How are you doing with everything happening, sir? I'm doing uh, pretty good. I mean, you know, all things considering, um, I moved from the um, apartment that I was in into a house to get away from all the COVID craziness, so to speak, went further into the suburb areas. Uh, my daughter uh, had a baby. My oldest daughter had her first baby. Yeah. Yay. Thank you, Maverick. So that's my first grandson from her. So that's three grandchildren now total. Oh, my God. Guys, do you believe it? Hey, every I want to say hi to everyone. Kathy, A11. A11. I, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing that right. Welcome back, everybody. White Wolf, Michael. Hi, everyone. Say hi to Billy. Say hi to Billy. I know you guys are going to have a lot of questions for Billy. Now, I, I'm going to slip and call you granddad, but guys, Billy, <laughs> do not call me grand, granddad, grandpa. Can you tell everybody what year, <laughs> what people call, what, what people, what your grandchildren call you? They call me GP. Yeah, GP. My, my granddaughter's five and my grandson's four. And my newest one, of course, is only a couple oh. weeks. But GP, that's the best. That's a cool way, you know? That's called <laughs> denial, Billy. <laughs> okay. Listen, I got I got one of those letters in the mail the other day. It was a um, AARP letter. And um, when I took it out of the mailbox, I was like, what? And I, I looked around to see if anybody saw it. <laughs> I ripped that thing up so quick. Oh, oh yeah. you're forever young. You're forever right. young. Well, listen, speaking of forever young, let's get right to it because I know this is going to be a full conversation. We're going to try to keep you here if we can for the, for the full hour because I know people are going to have questions. Guys, we're going to be talking about something that I'm really becoming even more privy to from the perspective of uh, ancient wisdom. And that has to do with manifestation. Now, that's a word we all know. From the secret to I don't know some of the oldest books I, I always look at. Uh, I, I love the book Billy, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind by Joseph Murphy, one of the first books I read many years ago that are really primers I would say for the uh, what I call the art and even the science of manifestation. But you are attacking this, approaching this from a very very uh, unique perspective, and that that has to do with the Egyptian mystery school. And right. I have to tell you when I when I put those two concepts together initially. I'm like, what would ancient wisdom ha have to do with the art of manifestation? But you weave this together in such a beautiful way uh, that, it, and it's so lucid for everyone. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go, uh, you guys, I'm, I'm using StreamYard. I'm going to give them a plug again. I got all these bells and whistles here and I've got clips for you, or at least a clip that I'm going to show you. I think we're going to go into that right now, set this conversation up. This yeah. is a clip from ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. We're going to talk about this brand new network. Billy is killing it. I'm telling you, he's killing it. But this is from his network in a series called Egyptian Mystery School Series. So, Billy, let's play this clip, and then on the back end, we'll just get right into the conversation. How about that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. 
Here we go. Let me make sure I'm hitting the right button. One, two, three. Here we go. Yeah. Dropping big facts for big knowledge. Putting conscious on the map for big knowledge. Always on the scene for big knowledge. Took the pictures, those ain't memes for big knowledge. A lot of people contact me, they go, you know, I've been trying to utilize this law of attraction and manifestation that you've been talking about. And, you know, it kind of really hasn't been consistent, not really working out the way that I want to. And can you tell me, like, how you make it happen? So I said, well, what are you trying to manifest? The guy told me he's trying to manifest a car. I was like, okay. I said, well, what kind of car? Oh, uh, you know, something around the $15,000, $20,000 range. I said, no, 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 that's not what I asked you. <laughs> I said, what kind of car? Uh, well, I have I said, see, right there, you failed already. This is, you know, you, you already failed. In order to manifest a car, you need to be very specific. Anything in manifestation, this is what you're going to learn about the Egyptian mysteries. Everything is extremely, extremely specific. They, every word had a purpose in the meeting that they wrote down. Every single word. So if, they, if you want to manifest a car, you need to find out exactly what kind of car. It'll be, you know, your price range is $20,000, fifteen dollars to 20000 What can you afford for that price point? See the reflexes there? What can you afford for that price point? You can afford uh, a Camry, a Toyota Camry. You can afford a Nissan Stanza or whatever these things are, you know, in that range. Okay. So what I want you to do now, you're going to have to go test drive it. Because what I want to do if I want to manifest a car, I'm going to go find my budget. I'm going to go to a dealership. I'm going to you know, go test drive the car so I pick the exact one that I want. I'm going to research that car from top to bottom. I'm going to read every description and detail about that vehicle. I'm going to know the exact color, the exact type of interior, all the features and functionalities. I'm going to know everything about the tires, the wheels. Anything you ask me about that vehicle, I'm going to be able to tell you just like that. Without even thinking about it. That's how hard I'm going to research this vehicle. I'm going to test drive it. Not only after I test drive it in the physical, when I go home, I'm going to test drive it in the astral plane. I'm going to actually envision myself in a meditation in that car, not hoping and wishing that I'm driving or seeing myself driving it. No, in my mind, I'm really driving that car. I'm really driving around in that car. I'm going to visit friends. I'm going, look at my new car I just got. Check it out. It only has X amount of my, I'm really living this through my mind. I'm and, and turning it to a virtual reality. Because virtual reality always becomes what? Physical reality. Okay? Before this phone came into existence, how did it get here? Somebody thought about it. Went to the conscious platform. Consciousness platform. Then it went to where? The person said, okay, i got to take it to a 2D. Let me give this information to a CAD designer. Now the CAD designer turns it into a two-dimensional object in... Uh, an illusion of three-dimensional space. Now what happens, the CAD designer, and we perfected with the way I want this phone to look and feel and work. Okay, great. Now we're going to do what? Take from the two-dimensional platform and take it to a three-dimensional platform by giving it to an engineer. Now the engineer is going to do what? Construct this device that thought, started off as a thought in my mind. We all are creators. We all are gods. We create everything, literally, and we take it for granted. We're creating and manifesting every single day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It's just that when it comes to something that we don't have yet and that we're trying to acquire, we forget that we're manifestors. Every single one of us in here has manifested something into this reality, or none of this stuff would even be here. There wouldn't be cars, clothes, stages, lights, wouldn't exist. It all began as thoughts, which became uh, you know, a two-dimensional object, which then became a three-dimensional object. So I said, you got to be extremely specific. This is what the ancients knew. They were extremely specific about everything. If somebody was going to sit down and spend a month writing, etching in with a little tiny stick, cuneiform text on a stone tablet. You know, 800,000 lines of text. 
Let's believe they're going to be extremely, extremely specific. They're not going to leave anything out. This is why the ancient, to me, the ancient tablets are very powerful things to read and study in these ancient texts, because they really put down what they really meant and what was meant for us to know. Hmm. Now, Billy, you say that in order to manifest, you have to operate with a power mindset yeah. in a state of commanding. Mm -hmm. This is where I really want to shape this conversation and also to give a little bit of context as to how the ancients knew how to do many things, including heal and extend lives through the power of command. This seems to be the one element that with all the primers that we have and all the books and workshops, et cetera, that we have, mm -hmm. that aspect seems to be missing. Let's start with that. Let's go into that. Yeah, definitely. You know, the ancients really had a great uh, understanding of how space-time and the manipulation of space-time actually worked. They understood cymatic frequencies, which they would emote directly from their vocal cords, and they understood how to interact those, um, those uh, cymatics with photonic light. And they would use a combination of photonic light and cymatics to actually manifest matter. They also understood, yeah, this is incredible stuff. This is written in text 36,000 years ago. Right. This is talked about in the Enuma Elish. This is talked about in the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. Uh, this is also talked about in the Mahabharata and the Rayamana. So they, they this is several, you know, that they really um, going back into different um, civilizations that talked about the same exact techniques, which means there was one teacher. Somebody handed down this information step by step. And so they also understood that in reality, in what we're calling reality itself, that there are these rules or these laws that Thoth called, these laws, these hermetic principles, so to speak, the law of cause and effect, uh, you know, the, the law of duality, the, the, the different laws of creation, and all these different types of laws, which really can be converted into scientific terms like, uh, you know, wave particle duality, uh, you know, gravity, and all these other things. But the on, on another level, the etherical aspect of these laws whereby a person through consciousness can actually use the electrons in their own brain to quantum entangle with other information out in space-time and utilize the law of attraction to then draw things to them. But it takes a power mindset. And the reason why it takes a power mindset is because when you're in a powerful mindset, meaning you're at a high vibration, which can be scientifically proven, joy, unconditional love, excitement, those types of uh, gratitude, those types of mind states create a high frequency in the brain, real science. So when you're in that mind state, it excites the atoms inside of your brain. And those atoms get excited and they start to vibrate faster, shake faster. They also uh, create an interaction with the magnetite crystals in your brain. And crystals are what? Senders and receivers of information. Absolutely, yes. So you have this combination of the excited atoms, which is what happens inside of a microwave. When you turn on a microwave, the microwave frequency excites the atoms inside of your food, making them vibrate at a higher frequency, which then creates friction, which actually warms up your food. That's how your food gets hot in the microwave, because of atoms vibrating at a faster, free, higher frequency. Mm -hmm. So when this frequency begins to accelerate inside the brain, it then excites the magnetite crystals, and then something else happens. It ignites the, um, the neurons that go around the head on the inside, 
These neurons are three gigantic neurons called the correlates of consciousness that wrap around the inside of the skull. And when you look at them through a MRI or a brain scan, they actually look like a crown of thorns. <laughs> so they you do. see, yes. So you see the simulation between Jesus Christ, crown of thorns, and we actually all are wearing the crown of thorns right now. It has to do with consciousness. So when those three things get excited at the same exact time, all of a sudden you're now tapping into higher realms of thought consciousness, and you're also quantum entangling with other information where you can download ideas, you can download inventions, you can download information for healing. You can also then quantum entangle with the universal consciousness so you can actually create what they call a law of attraction or a draw of information or energies back towards you based on the same high frequency and conscious intent that you're putting out. So if you're, if you're thinking about something at a high frequency and you're trying to manifest it into your reality and you're vibrating at that right frequency, your consciousness will literally go out and quantum entangle with all the processes needed to create that reality in your tunnel and bring it back toward you. The only thing that's left for you to be able to do is to actually have discernment to figure out exactly what steps need to be take, taken on these different actions that are now appearing right before your very eyes so that you can make the end result happen, which is a manifestation of the exact object, thing, or person that you're looking to bring into your life. I want to try something right now. Little Bird said, go get this. Now, guys, this is this is live. I don't know what's going to happen. But, Billy, I'm going to have you keep talking. I want to see if I put you in a solo layout because I'm going to grab something you might remember. It has to do with magnetite crystals, and you were the person that inspired this little invention of mine. Do you know what yeah. I'm talking about? I remember that. Let's yeah. See. I'm going to hit a button, guys. If something happens, God help us. But let's see. I'm going to put you in a solo layout. Yes, it works. You talk. Yeah. You can't see me now. I'm going to get up and grab this. Let's keep, let's talk a little bit more about magnetite crystals because I'm going to grab this and show yeah. the journeyers. Let's no talk about magnetite crystals. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that we have crystals inside of our brain. Uh, animals have these crystals as well. So this is how a turtle can navigate the sea and come back to, to, um, to his nesting place or her nesting place to lay more eggs. How birds can flock from the north to the south and from the south to the north and find their way every single uh, change of seasons. So they're using the magnetite crystal. Whales actually traverse the ocean using the same exact technique. A human being has these same crystals and they're active. We took, we meaning science, the scientists took a human being, put them in a, in a room, put a gigantic magnet in there with huge magnetism vortexes, and then put on a little sensory cap on the head to figure out what the magnetite crystals are sensing. And then they began to move that giant magnet around the room. And guess what we found out? The human brain was still detecting the change in the magnetic field. So we have not lost our ability to sense the magnetic field. Our magnetite crystals have not lost the ability to, to, to transmit and communicate information. It's just that a lot of the times we're not aware of what's exactly happening. Absolutely. Okay. Bam. Do you guys see that? Billy, do you recall when I showed you this little, I'm trying That's to remember. Right. Guys, just to give you a little bit of context, they're, they're probably like, what is she showing? I'm going to explain. <laughs> Billy and I had this conversation about while you're doing whatever you're doing with that phone or whatever. Was going. Billy's, Billy's a multitasker. Yeah, sorry. 
we had a conversation about two years ago, uh, Journeyers, Billy and I, and it, I believe, uh, it, obviously it's still on YouTube, where we talked about this idea of magnetite crystals in our brains being sort of um, a form of receiver. Now, I'm speaking out of school. I don't know as much, nearly as much as Billy does, but based on his thesis and how, if we can excite those magnetite crystals in our brains, we're <clears throat> literally more tethered, not only to... Um, frequencies that will allow ma uh, a manifestation, but the, literally the magnetosphere. And so mm -hmm. I, I said to Billy, I wonder if I were to create a little bit of an instrument and do a meditation with this, could I possibly uh, excite the magnetite in my own brain? And so this is what I came up with. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping you guys can see it. What I yeah. essentially did was I took a selenite wand, a short one, it's about three inches long, and I literally hot glued and when you said uh, magnetite crystals look like what? Look like little, um, what did you describe them as? They almost look like little pyramids in a way. Yeah, they're, they're kind of, kind of uh, hexagonal. Hexagon hexagonal. This is what's in our brain, little mini forms of this. Yeah. And I basically put this at the tip and then I hot glued, I believe this is jet, which resonates very well and helps to accelerate or excite the energy of the crystals here. And I literally started doing uh, just little exercises, not even meditations, but really just focusing on movement with these magnetite crystals. What do you think this is doing, Billy? There that's it is. So that's amplifying. So when you say the magnetosphere, to tell people what that is, the magnetosphere is actually is um, the electron, the electromagnetic field that's around the, the planet Earth. Yes. And the reason why that's so powerful is because what you created was an, is an amplifier. And that amplifier, so the frequency that's already coming out of your brain, everybody's brain is literally every single second, every single day, every thought that you think is leaving out of your skull. It's actually leaving out. It penetrates the skull and goes out into space-time. It's electromagnetism. Every thought generates an electromagnetic wave, which are waves of light, because every electromagnetic wave is a light wave. Everything in this universe is made of light. Now, you can't see it with your eye because we can only see 1% of the light spectrum, but a very sensitive camera can detect the light waves coming out. Now, you created an actual uh, magnifier and that magnifier that you created can actually help broadcast your signal stronger out to the magnetosphere. Now, the magnetosphere of the Earth is capturing information on a consistent basis in a massive way. And it contains a lot of information. So when you can connect to that, you can literally uh, you know, obtain global consciousness, so to speak, under the right types of meditations and practices. So it's, it's really a cool thing that you created. I really, uh, you know, look forward to trying to create one of myself because I remember the day you showed it to me. We were in LA. Like, oh, we were in LA. We were in LA, and I was like, yeah. "Wow!" We did an interview, I think, in in the room, and I was like, "Wow, this is pretty cool." And I never had a chance to put one together, but now that I have the time, <laughs> right? We all do, guys. We all we do. All have time. I'm gonna create one ASAP and start start experimenting with it because why don't I really we try something great. together? Why don't we look at maybe yeah. doing a a, a, ch a chunk of time where we come up with a protocol and and measure the results? I you guys too, we're inviting you too. I think this is fascinating what you're talking about. Yeah. Let, there's so many. Uh, angles I really want to cover here in this still short uh, this episode, but I want to bring it back in the ancients and how they knew this, I, I, particularly 
Billy, when it, as it relates to understanding the power of the mi mineral kingdom, something mm -hmm. occurred to me when I watched your amazing episode uh, earlier today of the Egyptian Mystery School, where you talked about how knowledge, not just knowledge, but affirmations and information was inscribed meticulously in what? Stone. Stone. And I thought to myself, they must have known something because even though paper hadn't been invented, so to speak, or discovered, there were leaves, there were other forms of media that they could have been, of yeah. course, papyrus, which they did, but why stone? And is that connected to what we're talking to? Talking you know, about really use stone and especially stone crystals in it to uh, communicate. There is a stella in between the paws of the great sphinx in Egypt. That stella is a stone stella it has etchings and hieroglyphs on it, but it's made out of a, of a particular type of stone with crystals inside of it. And one of the pharaohs used to go there to speak to the gods. He literally and his guards would literally hear sound. In other words, voices coming out of the stone. Now, this to me isn't magical sky daddies with wands speaking through rocks. To me, it's somebody transmitting a frequency into those crystals, probably piezo crystals, that are mm -hmm. able to receive frequencies and emote the vibration to create a sound frequency that you can understand as words. So they utilize that stone as a speaker, basically. Uh, and this is just one account of dozens of accounts of talking stones uh, in, the, in the ancient world. So these talking stones from God's talking to man through these stones is prevalent throughout the ancient civilizations. It's, in, it's etched into stones, it's, in, it's on papyruses and everything else. And also they were so smart to use stone for communication and even with the cuneiform writing and the hieroglyphs and everything else, because they knew that paper had a had a life expectancy of X amount of years or time, and it would it would fade away. It would it would become dust again. They knew the papyrus would eventually become dust again. They knew this already. So they they literally became masters of stonework, and that's why you have these ancient stone temples which are still here. You have all these ancient stone records which are still here, and these glyphs and everything else. With everything and even all the technology that they brought to this planet has passed away and turned back into dust, the stone still remains. So they were masters of this stone. And it was almost like they were saying, look, we're going to do this this way for the future generations. You'll know that we were here and you'll know our message. It's pretty powerful stuff. It's very powerful. Yeah. Speaking of powerful, this is all powerful and it's perennial wisdom that has somehow been lost or shall I say covered up. I mean, let's be clear. Yeah but it's time for it to come back out now more than ever with what we're going through. Mm -hmm. Let's spend a little bit of time, Billy, talking about the power of the spoken word. That has always been powerful. Forgive, the, forgive me yeah. saying it so much, but it's been a powerful medium for me as a talker, mm -hmm. obviously. I've always been very cognizant of not just the sound that we take in audibly, but the frequency that's being emitted, just mm -hmm. like with you know a thought uh, form. The yeah. spoken word is any kind of sound, really. It could be deleterious or it can be harmonious. Let's mm -hmm. talk about that and chanting and, and things that um, in the form of sound that really make things happen, including manifestation. Yeah. Well, you know, um, the ancient world knew about the power of the spoken word. Um, as a matter of fact, in Egypt, they had the language of light which was the highest level of hieroglyphs that only the quote unquote gods can communicate back and forth with. Uh, and then you had the middle uh, in middle level um, language, which was for politicians and important businessmen and high class people, so to speak. And then you had the lower level 
along the lines of Arabic and some of the other uh, tongues that were spoken. Uh, so, and now the thing was, the people that were the working class, they weren't allowed to learn the political and the upper class language. And why? Because they didn't want them to be able to talk that power. And then the, the people at that level couldn't learn the language of light that these quote unquote gods were speaking in. So there were even levels to that. They, they put that in order and in place because they understand we can't let them get this level of, of understanding of speaking and, ver and vocalizing because they're going to have the power over of, of people and things and maybe even us. So they created levels of power through vocalization and they control us that way. And then though the Atlantean, who I wrote the book about, he would travel around the planet and he would issue out different languages to different peoples around the planet and teach them those languages. But the highest level of language was never taught to the general population. It was saved for adepts, the elite, and these Anunnaki or Atlantean gods. And matter of fact, folks says in the book, he says, the highest knowledge is unutterable. Uh, so they wouldn't let, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it exists in higher planes of existence and even higher in higher dimensions. But the power of the spoken word is so important because just like the Bible and other ancient texts say, the tongue is a two-edged sword and it's so real because when you speak, you're creating a cymatic frequency that has a direct effect when it's backed by the conscious intent of the word, the meaning of what you're speaking out it has a direct effect on water. And this has been tested um, for many, many decades now, how words have power in over water. And because the human body is made of mostly water, when you speak, if you're speaking death or injury or something evil on someone, not only are they hearing it and that's affecting the physiology of that person's body, but mm -hmm. you're hearing it. So it's affecting your body just the same as it's affecting their body. So when you're speaking uh, in those negative ways, on those dark terminologies, you're actually even making your own self sick. You know, this this is why it's very important to mm -hmm. try not to get a, get raged in anger and start speaking off the top of your head because you can say things that can really not only destroy the other person, but also destroy you as well. You know, a moment of anger can lead to 40 days of sorrow. You know, so you got to be very careful what you say. Very strong. And well, this goes back to I, I continue to refer to Joseph Murphy lately for some reason in the power of your subconscious mind. And I'll never forget there's a phrase in the book that says the subconscious cannot take a joke. And very briefly, he tells a story of it was an article that had come out many years ago of a man who would continue repeating, uh, I would give my right arm to see my daughter cured of some illness she had. He would repeat this over and over again. Well, journeyers, you can guess what happened. One day the family was out uh, driving uh, somewhere, got into a car accident and his right arm was torn off and when it, it was amputated at the shoulder. And, and when that happened, I believe the next day the daughter's illness miraculously was cured. Yeah. I will never forget that out of the entire book. That's the thing that, that will remain evergreen. And so when I hear people making saying phrases like, you know, uh, some people like to say when when they're laughing, oh, you're killing me. <laughs> you're killing me. Stop saying that. Don't say that. Watch right. your words, because let's we can also refer to Masido, the late Masido Emoto's work. I think mm -hmm. that was very, very re uh, revelatory. Uh, yeah. Guys, I'm sure you, many of you know the great work of Emoto, controversial as it was, using water and speaking certain words and then freezing them in a very, very uh, unique, flash freezing uh, in a very unique way. 
they would show the crystallization yeah. either very erratic and disorganized for words of hate and mm -hmm. uh, uh, words of love, obviously, would be very symmetrical and like almost like snowflakes. So yeah. I think there's enough science out there to show that this is really happening. Um, yeah. So, hmm. I wanted, I wanted, we're obviously going to stay on this whole idea of manifestation uh, as it relates particularly to the ancient Egyptians, but I want to just throw something out. When I say to you, can you talk about meat and manifestation? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Meat yeah. and manifestation. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, I try to tell, you know, tell people, because some people would say, hey, you know, Mr. Carson or Billy, um, I've been trying to manifest and I've been doing everything. And uh, everything I've been, you, you've told me about everything you, you've researched and done, done in your workshop and taught in the work, workshop, but it's not getting there as fast as I'd like it, or in some cases, not happening at all. And, I, and they can't figure out like why somebody like me is doing so good and so well and trying everything. And some people that they know who don't seem to be into any of the conscious stuff is man, are manifesting whatever they want. You know, and mostly you're talking about people who are financially set. It doesn't mean that they're getting everything they want. From our perspective, it looks like, oh, this person's got a nice car, nice house, and all this money. Maybe they're. So I said, look, Michael Jordan uh, is uh, is a great player, probably one of the best players in the history of the world. At the same time, there's people who went through the same funneling process to get to the NBA that he did. They had 500,000 boys play high school basketball, 18,000 make it to college. That's a big cut right there, and only 30 get to the NBA. Now, those 30 that made it to the NBA and then made it onto Michael Jordan's championship teams, some of those guys sat on the edge of the bench and they never even got in a game because they weren't even allowed to dress out. But they still got a ring, but you don't even know their names. But they went, they were that good to get there, but they weren't good enough to play. So there's certain people that are just better at certain things. Certain people's frequencies are set to certain, in certain ways in the universe that things manifest for them in certain ways that maybe not for others. So if, you're, if that's the case, you have to do everything you possibly can to work on your manifestation. Now, one thing that you might be doing wrong is you might be eating meat. And so one of the people were like, what are you talking about? I said, well, I'm not saying to go vegan. I said, but when you're in the manifestation process, you have to remember that when you're eating meat, a lot of this meat that we're eating has been tortured. It's suffered for its entire lifespan. It's, it's, been, um, you know, it, it's been injected with all kinds of things. And it's had a very sorrowful life. And because DNA stores memories, as I've shown people many times, DNA scientifically proven stores information and stores epigenetic memories as well. An animal living thing has what? It has DNA. And so that DNA is now stored memories of all the torture, all the suffering, all the pain, all the agony, all the despair, all the depression, not only for itself, but for its generations even behind it that have went through that same exact process. Now you consume this meat into your body and you think I'm vibrating in a high vibration, I'm, I'm op operating in unconditional love, I'm helping people, I'm of service to others, I'm meditating, I'm doing all this stuff. But now you just consume some meat that has such a low vibrating frequency and energy coming out of that DNA and it's in your body, in your bloodstream, entangling with your DNA and now bringing your frequency down. So in your mind, I'm high frequency. Not actually. All that meat that you're consuming, that tortured flesh, is bringing down your frequency, giving you a less greater chance of, of succeeding in what you're trying to manifest. So during the manifestation process, I recommend that people abstain from eating uh, meat. That's just my personal opinion.
I think that's so powerful. And I have to say, I've never heard it really described that way, but here's what it reminds me of, Billy. We're all familiar with the idea, particularly in, the, in Christianity, of fasting and praying. And I wonder how many of us have really thought about where that came from, mm-hmm. you know, never mind just uh, eliminating the meat, but eliminating all things that are that have a form of DNA mm-hmm. so that our vessel is as clear as can be so that we can reach that which we we call God or universe. Right. Maybe it's really about resonating, having that vessel clear, having mm-hmm. that signal clear so it yeah. can entangle with that which we're trying to bring in, the voice mm-hmm. of God. Does Absolutely. that make sense? Oh, it makes great sense. I mean, it's perfect the way you actually added a little piece to it, because when you look at their praying and fasting, that goes back thousands and thousands of years. And it's something that has been utilized across all civilizations. And it's always to obtain a communication directly with God, the source energy, the universe, whatever you want to call it. And it makes so much more sense as well that you want to be pure and you don't want to be entangled with other DNA from other other species or other things. You want to be able to have that direct connection without any confusion and mm-hmm. then be able to discern what you're receiving. So it's very, it's a key thing. And to me, it's really important. I think it is. I think yeah. that's great advice, journeyers. Okay, listen, we're going to take a pause. I'm looking at the time. We're over a half hour. And I know, I'm sure, Michael, there's some questions for Billy. Uh, what, what do we have here? Do we have any questions? We, we do have a couple questions. They weren't really along the same lines of what we were talking about, but I'm, I'm pretty sure Billy and, and or yourself couldn't answer these if we want to hit them up. Okay, go for it. Let's see if you can uh, hit us with one. Okay, so the first one had to do, it was at the beginning of the chat, it, it was mentioning O negative blood type. And the, the journeyer wanted to know, um, did the Anunnaki originate this blood type in today's humans? Or if not, who or what originated this different and odd blood type? I know who that is. That's Kathy, isn't it? And I'm not even looking at the chat because guess what, you, Kathy? You <laughs> I saw that question when it came in when I think I did my conscious commentary in the garden and plugged that Billy was going to be on the show. So thanks for that question. Let's not uh, digress too much. Billy, can you answer? Did you hear that question? Yes, I heard. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Great you question. Want- Okay, thank you, Kathy, by the way. Oh, negative, RH negative blood type, which is actually what I am. My mother, uh, rest her soul, was also RH negative. And my uncle, who unfortunately right now in Arizona is um, not doing so well, um, is also mm. RH negative. So we have three in one family. Now, only 15% of the world have this blood type. Really? Yeah. And so when you look it up, it comes up as alien blood. <laughs> it's very strange. But... Um, it's really weird that in, in a lot of the cases, people with this blood type suffer, struggle trying to come into the world. I was in the hospital for three weeks fighting for my life when I was born. Um, and eventually I got through it and it's the rejection of the other side, the other blood from, the, uh, from my father in this particular case. And um, it's so vital, this blood type, that I have to go to my local plasma bank and I donate blood to myself so that in case anything happens to me, that they have my own blood to give to me because it's hard to get the blood. Like my mom almost died when she had my uh, my youngest brother. It was a surprise pregnancy much later in life. And she started having a bleed and she was hemorrhaging and they couldn't stop it. And then they had a hard time finding blood for her. And she literally almost didn't make it back then. 
Uh, so I so I was I was told by the doctors to donate blood so that I can have my own blood on hand, and I have to do that every so many months. But with all that being said, if you go into the ancient records, you discover that in the Enuma Elish and the seven tablets of creation, and also in the Epic of Atraces or the Atraces Epic, they came to a certain agreement they would now begin to genetically modify the hominids on Earth and create a slave working race. They didn't want to use uh, robots or androids. They didn't use the word android or robot. They used another terminology kind of alluding to an artificial person because they didn't want to be able to be taken over by them. So they were smart. They automatically knew that this AI stuff back then wouldn't be good for them. So they said, we're going to manipulate this harmony. So we were already here. Our cousins were already on Earth, existing, upright, bilateral, bipedal hominids with intelligence probably more intelligent than we are spiritually than we are today because I think oh, we were, sure oh yeah we were more connected back then now they've disconnected a lot of our DNA and we call it junk DNA it's not junk it's been disconnected from our environment and our ability to tap into other realms naturally just more much more easily but they when they did this you I, I believe that this is when this RH negative blood type made its way into the genome so that every so many occurrences, somebody has this, this blood type that came from these Anunnaki. They experimented so many times. First, they experimented with clones. They literally made clones of hominids and tried to genetically modify the clones. And that was failing because they weren't living long enough. They were having different defects and they, weren't, they still weren't able to function properly and they couldn't reproduce. So they went back again and they tried more. So this time, one of the Anunnaki females she said, I'm going to take the baby to turn myself. So they took an egg out of a hominid female. They combined the Anunnaki. This is where the RH comes from. They combined the Anunnaki uh, genetic material into the, uh, into the egg. This is what we call in today's modern science called making a zygote, Z-Y-G-O-T-E, a zygote. Talking about these braces in my mouth. So the zygote is what she created. And then she uh, inserted it into her womb and then she took uh, the baby to term for 10 months, not nine, but 10. And she gave birth to the first Adamu, A-D-A-M-U. And there's a famous cylinder scroll that talks about this. And it's in the British Museum. And she's also holding up the Adamu saying, I have done it. My hands have created it. So they created the first modern man. They didn't really create, but they genetically modified it and gave birth to a modern man by combining the Anunnaki DNA with human DNA and blood and everything else. So now, and chromosomes. So now all of a sudden, we have this, uh, this RH that shows up in the genome, uh, and it, but it's, it shows up every, so randomly every so many people. But it's something that I truly believe stems all the way back to this genetic modification of these Anunnaki Atlanteans with, with the hominids that were already on this planet, our cousins, then for creating the more modern Homo sapiens sapien, which is us. Uh, and then they disconnected our DNA and uh, they shrunk our skulls. They made our pineal gland smaller. And they also inserted something called a worship gene, which has now been scientifically proven. I was just going to please talk about that. That was going to be my next question. What yeah. is the worship gene? Scientists started investigating what is it that makes a person prone to wanting to believe in higher deities and then also not believe them, but worship them. And so they started tampering with the genome as they were mapping it. And they came across a gene specifically that when turned off, takes away a person's need or purpose to want to worship something. 
and you turn it back on, it comes back again. So they realized that this gene was inserted into the human genome and they dated it. It's about 200,000 years old, but they can't figure out how it got there. Well, 200,000 years is around the same exact time in the Enuma Elysian, the Atra Aces epic, where this battle was gonna take place on earth between the Anunnaki and the Ijiji. And they agreed to genetically modify humans to make the slave race and take the workload off the Ijiji people. So that goes back 200,000 years. It lines up with ancient cuneiform tablets that were found in Iraq that this modification was done. They also um, uh, put telomere caps on chromosome number two. They took chromosome number two out of the human body, fused it together, and then put a cap on each end. And that cap allows us to only live to a certain amount of years. 120 is the maximum amount of years that a human being in most conditions can live. And what happens as you, as your cells and your DNA replicate on a daily basis, that buffer material in those, um, in those caps gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And when it runs out, that's when your body starts the death process. So that was also added to us because of the Tower of Babel incident. They didn't want people living before that. We were living for thousands of years. And, and Enlil, who's also known as Yahweh in the modern Bible, said, if they can, whatever they put their minds to, they're going to be able to achieve it. So my seed shall not abide in man forever. Their years shall be set to 120. So they went and genetically modified us and put that cap, the telomere cap, and infused chromosome number two. And then they spread the people out all over the planet and began to change up and confuse the languages so that we couldn't communicate with each other and be on this and be on one accord anymore. So you see, that's not the creator of the universe that came down and did this. This is somebody who doesn't want people to be able to work together and come together right. and overthrow them. So in, in the Bible, people think it's God who's doing this. But when you really evaluate, you realize, why would God stop people from working together in unison and love and peace? creating something of their main goal of achievement that wasn't hurting anybody. Confuse your languages and shorten your lifespan just because of that. It doesn't make any sense. The creator of the universe, in my opinion, has no cares about anything that's silly. I think that this was the Enlil character. He was known as Yahweh in, uh, in certain texts. And also he was also known as Satan, the Lord of Eden, uh, according to the Gnostics. So, you know, it's really interesting that how it went, but this is what's happened. I mean, we've been genetically modified. When you talk about the worship gene, and I first got wind of it, hadn't heard of it before, and in the episode, we're going to talk about uh, your, again, your great network, ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. I thought to myself, this really does, when you think of worship, it's not only worshiping a higher being, God, we worship celebrity, particularly in the Western world. We yeah. must have a gene where worship uh, becomes integral to our lives. We use other words, you know, idolization, mm -hmm. etc. Yeah. Here's how I think it relates to manifesting or lack thereof. In the process of manifesting, you must have complete faith in oneself, being in a, a, a space of command and power. But mm -hmm. when that gene is active of worship, you've already given that power away to that which oh. you're worshiping. You can't have it both ways. So here's my question, Billy. And this is a big one. Is there any way, and I know that this isn't a, a turnkey, forgive the cliche uh, solution, but is there any way we can one day learn how to turn that gene off ourselves? You can only do it through conscious knowledge that it exists. And you can resist that sensation or that feeling to want to worship another entity or another, or another thing. Um, 
And, you know, this goes for DTs or things that have been turned into DTs, people that we idolize. You have to realize that um, I can play a great rock and roll song and I can get a person to gyrate and make all kinds of noises and get them to cry like Michael Jackson would perform in front of thousands of people and the girls would start crying. Even men would cry. People would pass out. You see the same thing happens in church. It's a mind state and it has to do with that gene, that worship gene that's inside of us. And it all comes down to um, re resisting that urge, that sensation, that feeling to want to worship something. Because once you mm. if you're trying to manifest something and now you're in the manifesting process and you're praying, which I believe in prayer, but prayer from a command, a point, standpoint of commanding, not a standpoint of begging and asking. So if you're commanding this happens, commanding this into existence, because the same power and spark of the creation of the universe is in your body and every in, in every atom, the power is already in you to command things into existence, into reality. Once you go into a standpoint of, oh, please, I'd like this. Oh, please, can you help me? And if I do this and if you do this, this for me, I'll never do this again. And all that kind of crazy thinking. What happens is you become a beggar. You drop your frequency. And on top of that, you've now given any other power you had left over to another entity. Yeah. And you've given your power away. How can you get anything coming back? You have you, you, you can't you, you've now literally uh, somebody's become an energy vampire of your energy. They, they're sucking the energy out of you and they're utilizing it for their own life force, whoever that may be or whatever that may be, whether it's a celebrity or whether it's an entity that you believe is a deity or whatever. Versus you being able to understand that the power is already inside of your body and commanding that energy and that power and helping to create and shape your own reality. I try to tell people all the time, stop waiting around for a savior to come and help you. We were sent here to save ourselves. OK, if I'm standing outside and I see somebody getting mugged and I intervene and stop that woman from getting robbed and save her from getting her purse stolen, taken away. I'm her savior. I just became the savior. I, st I stepped in. There's nobody coming from another realm, another dimension. Everybody keeps kicking their feet up and watching the world burn, waiting for the, oh, oh, let her, that, that guy will get taken care of. He'll go to hell. That's a wrong mindset. The mindset is, what can I do to stop this situation? I'm suffering in a particular situation. What can I do to help make my situation better? What changes can I make in my life? Who, what people can I talk to? What can I do with, with effort and work behind this to change what I'm in? How can I save myself from the situation? It's all about what we're capable of doing. And what people don't realize, if you look at text from the Bible to the Quran, the Mahabharata, the Ramayana, all these texts, they always say the same thing. We have power even greater than them. Even in the modern day Bible, if you want to look into more modern stuff, Yeshua says, you are gods. Not only that, he also says, you are able to do greater things than me. And perform miracles. What does that tell you? So people have taken that aspect of it, or not even read it, or maybe not even being aware of it. They decide to take the role of sitting back. They listen to somebody tell them that waiting for this entity to come save you. And then what happens is the world gets crazy because a lot of people are watching the world burn and waiting for this end of day thing to happen instead of bringing heaven to earth, which I feel our true mission is to bring heaven to earth. I'm looking at the comments. A11 says, I must be missing that worship gene. Well, good on you, A11. You know, right. I, that's a big one. That's a big one. I, I don't believe that all of us, well, 
who knows who has it, but perhaps in some it's dormant. That's one gene that I would like to see remain dormant. I, we could do a whole show on that. As a matter of fact, I might do a conscious commentary in the garden on that whole thing because I really have a philosophy even outside of knowing until recently that there was such a thing about yeah. the ideology associated with worship and how we have been indoctrinated into something that is completely, uh, I, I feel, deleterious. So let's go. Uh, we're, oh my gosh, we're almost out of time. We got about maybe 12, 15 minutes of max of Billy can squeeze that out for us. Michael, do we have any other questions for Billy? We do. Um, Jeffrey in chat wanted to know, can we use scripting to tap into parallel realities to manifest things that we want to come into our life? Can we, can we script? What'd you say can again? We, can we use scripting? I'm going to have you repeat it, Michael. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Um, can we use scripting to tap into parallel realities to manifest things that we want to come back into life? I wonder if he meant a different word and I'm going to ask him in chat. Maybe to, he could uh, clarify. Yeah. Scripting. Here's, here's an, I'm going to jump to another one while we try to get a better, a uh, little more detail from Jeff. Butterfly in NYC asks on the opposite side of the spectrum, what causes people to want to be worshiped? Is mm. that a reptilian part of the brain? elaborate that's an excellent that's an excellent question i'll yeah. you know i'll jump in a little bit maybe we can both say a little bit about well, it me i think both billy and i can speak to this me coming from the entertainment industry having worked in uh both network uh broadcast as, as well as hollywood i've been around that sort of uh egoistic mindset for the better part of my life and it's one of the reasons why i left the mainstream of entertainment, if you will, to come over to, to what I really enjoy doing. Uh, I do feel that there, I don't know that it's a gene necessarily, but I do believe that there are individuals that are, that literally get a form of adrenaline from being worshipped. I think there are a lot of people, not just in the entertainment industry. I think, I think th there's been a certain indoctrination to want to be worshipped and I would dare say, Billy, correct me if I'm wrong, that that too is also a part of the worship gene, not just giving worship, but receiving it. And yeah. I would dare say that that is part of the, what they also call the basal ganglius, part of the reptilian brain or the brain stem that mm -hmm. perhaps is more switched on for some people than for others. I think there are a lot of, I think there are a lot of reasons why people um, feel that they want to be worshiped. We look at narcissism. Now we're really in the field of psychology. Uh, yeah. I, I certainly think that uh, insecurity that probably stems from some form of trauma uh, as mm -hmm. a young person may trigger that gene more. Uh, I think there are a whole bunch of reasons, but certainly, Billy, what do you think? Do you think that the desire to be worshiped may also be a part of the worship gene? Oh, I believe so, 1000%. You see, even if you look at the where we are in this civilization matrix, we're the prisoners and we're also the prison guards. We're both. And so it's the same exact thing when it comes to this worship gene. We want to be worshipped and we also worship. So even the people that want to be worshipped, that thrive off of that, are also worshipping something else, uh, whether we know what it is or not. And a lot of people, uh, for example, I, I give you a great example. In the NBA, so we have this COVID-19, the NBA got shut down. It just came back. We're in the playoffs. Now, there's nobody in the gym, right? There's nobody in the gym. So they realize that players, the reason why you have home court advantage is because of the energy of all the people worshiping you while you're on the court. 
You're, they're literally the player. The reason why and this is something that's been tried and true tested now because it's been millions of games played. So we know that when you have when you're at home, your home court fans cheering for you generates a specific a particular frequency that the players actually energetically absorb and become better at what they do and more confident in what they do. And they have an advantage over the team that came to visit them. This has now been tried, tried tested too. So we know that's real home court advantage. So right now the NBA, there's nobody there. So what did they have to do? They had to put the sound of fans cheering uh, throughout the game, which is just play. It's just, it's fabricated. I mean, it's probably old games or something that they play sound while you're playing and they have people on TV screens that pay a fee to be on a screen. So it looks like they had, looks like there's fans, but there's no fans. So they understand that that energy transformation, it alchemically converts into the player's body and it makes them play better. So people are wanting to be worshiped because it's a form of consuming others energy for your own benefit, whether it's a benefit that's good or a benefit that's, that's negative. People use it for both, but there is, some type of uh, conscious psychological situation and physiological thing that happens when somebody absorbs another person's energy. Mm. Thank you for that. Agreed 100%. Michael, do we have another question? <clears throat> I agree 100% too. I just want to say that Billy does such an amazing job of explaining ancient concepts with modern ideas as well as just straight up common sense. And it just really works. Um, I had a question, Billy. Can you um, can you compare how um, with magnetites and the small receivers that people have in the brains, and then the building methods in ancient Egypt in the Old Kingdom, where they're using piezoelectric concepts with the the crystalline granite from Aswan that they brought in hundreds of miles away, and then using the millions of tons of of limestone on pyramids and other um, other buildings was that intended for something with people or just in general well it was a combination so the crystal that you're talking about and those granite structures the way that they come the way that they built them and the way they put the insulation on the outside of them they created for example the great pyramid was a gigantic multifunctional stone computer and it was for communication a lot of that crystal technology was for communication so the reason why there's so much crystal granite inside the Great Pyramid, I'm talking about thousands of tons, tens of thousands of tons of crystal granite. Now, on the Great Pyramid, for example, there are these ports that open up on the side and go out. They shoot up and they line up with star systems. They line up with Aldebaran. They line up with Orion. They line up with Sirius. They line up with all these different star systems. And the reason why they line up is because besides being a natural power generating device of wireless electricity, the Great Pyramid also used of um, a particular type of technology to extract the hydrogen from the water that it was on top of. The pyramid, underneath the Great Pyramid was an aquifer of water that came from the Nile. It's now long since been dried up. So there's gigantic, empty, uh, dried up tunnels underneath the pyramid. They used to be full with water. That's what aquifer. They would extract the hydrogen through a chemical process inside the Great Pyramid, and then they would send a signal to those star systems of information that was beamed into or coming off of the crystal. So the crystal would then transmit the frequency into the hydrogen uh, atoms and send it straight to those star systems. So it was a communication device. So they would use hydrogen to communicate. 
Now, I talked about this long time ago, back in 2007, 2008, I think it was. In 2011-12, what comes on the History Channel? They start talking about that they're looking for life on other planets now, NASA and the European Space Agency. And guess what they're using? They're utilizing the frequency of hydrogen to communicate and send information out because they believe it's the most widely used frequency to transmit information in the universe. So I was right again. So hydrogen is the frequency that they use to extract from the aquifer and transmit through the crystal technology. The information will piggyback the frequency from the crystals and send it to other planetary systems. They would also utilize it, I believe, to communicate to people, high ranking officials and high ranking people, wherever you go into these ancient temples, whether it's in Aswan, whether it's in uh, Abu Simbel and all these other places, this, the, the, the god or the ruler of that area, wherever they would go into their little holy of holies, there would be this crystal stone uh, throne, there would be crystal uh, um, uh, statues and things all around them. Those things would be, they, um, uh, the Aten or the, uh, the sun disk, who's really Amun-Ra or Marduk in the modern day Bible, would transmit information into those crystal objects and then have a communication or a conversation with the liaisons between humans, which most likely they were communicating with pharaohs who then ruled over the people. That was, those were the go-betweens. So it had a dual purpose. One was to communicate with the leaders and the other one was to communicate with other people and other star systems. Mm. I wanted to show you all this as well. This is a show and tell for me today, Bill. You know, I'm in my element talking about crystals and stones. Speaking yeah. of ancient Egypt, this was, I believe, on my first trip to Egypt. I'm not mm. going to say how many years ago where I got this. You've been there several times, I know. This is a scarab stone and a handmade, hand-pounded uh, silver bracelet. Mm. So I just you know, you go there and I don't know how many of you all have been there. And if you have a chance, once we're back to traveling, I would absolutely recommend going to Egypt and, and seeing and feeling the energy that still is so prevalent there. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't it's know still, if we have maybe. time for another question. We are running short. Uh, and Michael, do you have something that may not require such a long answer or, cause I know I we could stay for two hours. Okay. All right. Great. Well, you know, we're going to wind down because I'm not going to keep Billy too much longer. I didn't have a chance to read from this excellent book. I did. Um, I do something, Billy, we talked about this off air that I call stichomancy or stichomancy, which is essentially book dowsing. But, I, you know, I think we kind of covered uh, what I pulled out of here. I think we you've covered so much territory today, but I do want to take this opportunity to plug this amazing book, The Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, A Beginner's Guide. This is a bestseller by Billy Carson. Dude, I'm so proud of you. You were just ripping it up. So thank you. Go get this book. I think there's a link in the description. Let's see. What else? Oh, uh, I, I just put a little ticker across the bottom. Go on over to yeah. Patreon, y'all, because we've got an after show. This is an after show that was previously recorded a couple of months ago, Billy. I think we did uh, a great discussion. It's not on the same subject, but it's really more about your personal journey uh, going through challenge and how you've overcome it. It all connects. And I think you'll get a little bit more insight into why this young man is such a brilliant young man. So go on over to the Patreon a platform. I'm going to stop saying channel. It's a platform sign up you get to support higher journeys in the process and uh listen to billy and i chatted up a little bit more what else Thanks. subscribe of course if you enjoyed what you heard today we would yeah. love it youtube would love it 
like it, smash that like button, hit that notification bell, all those little prompts. Mm-hmm. No worshiping yeah. allowed, however. Put <laughs> <laughs> that gene down. Yeah. <laughs> Your subscribers. If, if, if your followers, listeners, <laughs> subscribers use the coupon code Higher Journeys, they get one month free on Forbidden Knowledge TV. That's right. I'm so excited. We're we're now a part of the Forbidden Knowledge TV family, and I believe there's some Higher Journeys stuff up there as well. So yes. go on over, Billy. You're doing just a fantastic job, my friend. Thank Forbidden Knowledge TV. You still got Forbidden Knowledge correct? <laughs> What yeah. else we got going on? Give us give us the rundown real quick so people know where to find all things Billy Carson. Well, I have uh, apps right now on Apple TV, so you can get the Forbidden Knowledge with the number four Forbidden Knowledge TV right. app on Apple TV, Roku, um, Amazon Fire TV. I do have several episodes of Forbidden Knowledge on Amazon Prime Video. I think episode season one, episode one or two is up about gratitude. So you can see that on Amazon Prime video if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber. Uh, Also, we're on iOS devices for the Forbidden Knowledge TV app or the Forbidden Knowledge app. There's two apps there. And then also uh, the Android as well. And we also have our own social media platform now, uh, which has no shadow banning and no suppression of your voice. And that is Unite the 99, Unite the 99 mobile app. It's on Android and and iPhones. It's a combination of the features that I thought were the best from Facebook and Instagram all into one. And uh, it's got clickable links of business directories being developed in there. And the platform is posting great content. And thousands of people have signed up and it's doubling every week. It's going faster than I even thought. Yeah. I'm so excited. (laughs) This warms my heart, guys. You know, Billy's our friend. Keep doing it, man. And I'm stay. I'm sticking close to you. You know that. <laughs> yeah, you got to. You got to do it. You got to do it. Listen, guys, we're gonna have to shut this down for now. But I just want to say, what a treat to have Billy. It's always a treat. But this has been an extra, extra special treat for me to be able to uh, fellowship with all of you with Billy live, real time. Uh, maybe one of these days we'll see all of each other in person. I'm I'm waiting for that day. You know, yeah. showing you this just brought back memories of when we were in Los Angeles together and we were breaking bread together and doing yeah. one of these days, one of these days. But in the meantime, journeyers, enjoy your journey. Make it a high journey. I love you all. I know Billy does too. And we're going to sign off for now. You know what, Billy, don't hang up. I'm going to sign. We're going to end this broadcast. I'll say a proper goodbye to you. And uh, we'll see you. We're not going to be doing a live show on Friday because we did it today, but I'll see you next week. We're going to have Sean Stone. Billy, we're going to have Sean Stone next week. He's got a lot of great stuff going on. I know. We're all friends, right? I love it. I love it. I've had Sean on for years. So he'll be on. I believe he's in Australia now. So he'll Mm -hmm. be on next Wednesday. We'll have a lot of great stuff to talk about. And then join us back uh, here on Friday for next Friday for Conscious Commentary in the Garden. Got a lot going on. All right. Journeyers, I love you. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day, wherever you may be on this little blue planet. Take good care. Bye.